0: Sportsanalytics.com. On this episode, the reaction to last week's crazy idea of promotion and relegation in auto racing, a fun game that will likely make me seem foolish while also teaching you something, and an in-depth preview of the 600 mile race this weekend, and the question, do we even need a 600 mile race at all? But first, as always, this is episode 18 of Positive Regression. This is the Bobby Labonte Edition. David, this is perfect timing for this, as Bobby Labonte is one of the newest members of the Hall of Fame, and rightfully so. Other than Kyle Busch, he is the driver I most associate with the number 18. David, maybe not the loudest driver in terms of sound bites or interviews, but what comes to mind when you think
1: Bobby Labonte? Hmm. I think I was once told that Bobby Labonte always showed up to a racetrack with a briefcase. I'm not sure that that's true, but I believe it. Always business-like, workman-like, 21 full seasons at the NASCAR Cup Series level. Ten of those came after his age 39 season, and that's kind of why his career resulted in a plus 0.144 P. Roa. That's more than a hair above average. Uh, it is below Casey Kane on the all-time chart, just ahead of Ryan Blaney right now. But Alan, when I think of Bobby Labonte, I think about the championship. He won... In the year 2000, there is a stat on motorsportsanalytics.com. It was one of my day one stats called relevance. Relevance is a percentage of races finished inside the top half of fields. That's all it is. It is not a complex stat. But Labani's relevance in the year 2000 was over 97%. Wow. In the 18 seasons... Since that season, we have not seen a higher relevance percentage from a NASCAR Cup Series driver. It goes to show what can happen when a driver and team rarely, if ever, have a bad day.
0: And think about the point system back then, rewarding consistency, rewarding all those good finishes and all those points, all that relevancy adding up. Uh, it just tells the story right there of winning a championship right in the middle of Jeff Gordon's heyday, right in the middle, you know, still Dale Earnhardt, still competing. Um, Dale Jarrett back then. I'm just trying to think of who, who who his main competitors would have been, uh, you know, toe to toe, week to week. And that really tells the story I mean, that. That is a high percentage of just finishing races and, and doing well.
1: Yeah, it was, and that was getting to the point of his, uh, his peak as a driver. He had an early peak around ages 35 and 36. After that, he, uh, the the journey continued to Richard Petty Motorsports and then Hall of Fame Racing and then JTG. Um, and it just, it didn't, uh, he, he didn't age well, didn't age as gracefully as other drivers do, but. That championship, that's what's going to propel him into the Hall of Fame. Also, lest we forget, a former NASCAR Bush Series champion.
0: Very cool. And, and you know, I just think of the number 18. I always had a special place in my heart. I, I'm a Rusty fan, but I always liked the 18. I was born on the 18th of November, so I always liked the number 18. Uh, Bobby Labonte, I think of him and I think of all those wins he had in Atlanta, uh, just kind of dominated that place. You 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 would associate the two, Bobby Labonte. And Atlanta Motor Speedway did not like Bobby Labonte when he beat Rusty at the Brickyard, like a few drivers did. Rusty finished second there a lot. Uh, so even though I call Bobby a teammate now on Fox, um, we we have talked about that. And I, I do not like that part of Bobby Labonte. But don't forget, he was part of the, the Jeff Gordon and Kenny Wallace rookie class. So a, a successful class when you think of the two champions that came out of uh, that class. So episode 18, Bobby Labonte, we salute you here on Positive Regression. And next up, David, let's go back to last week, just for a minute, because we had some great reaction to our discussion. Last week, David, you proposed, hypothetically, of course, a system of promotion and relegation in NASCAR. In short, if you didn't hear last week, go back and listen, but it's a system where the bottom four cup teams each year would get relegated to the Xfinity Series, sent down to the minors, essentially, and the top four Xfinity Series teams would move up to cup for the next year. And the same system for Xfinity down to say Arca and, and what have you. And David, it's a, it's a crazy idea, but it definitely works in soccer. Maybe it's just crazy to apply it to racing, but I think we had some good feedback. We got people thinking and that's what we want to do on this podcast.
1: Yeah. A lot of our feedback was from listeners outside the NASCAR industry who were for the idea, but the. The naysayers, some of which worked within the sport, leaned on the difference in equipment between Cup Xfinity and Arca. To that, I say, make the car uniform across all divisions. It's not that much of a stretch. We change car generations every six or seven years. Manufacturers change bodies every two or three. Pick a time when most of those changes align and move forward. It's not nearly complicated. Look, this idea is absolutely goofy. A total flight of fancy, as I mentioned on Twitter, but equipment difference is not a reason as to why it would not work. Um, we were asked about the truck series. People love the truck series. I say leave it exactly as it is. Uh, I personally liked it best when it was a senior tour of sorts. Ted Musgrave Bobby Hamilton. There was a point in time when Mark Martin, Martin entered the truck series and looked like he was just going to crush. Uh there, there probably needs to be a racing series with its own identity. Um, I think this is the likely pick because it's a different vehicle. I I enjoy the product as it is now. I enjoy the the characters, the cast uh that's in the truck series right now. It's kind of it. like They're, the senior tour on golf, when when like one of the older good golfers
0: turns like fifty or so, and all of a sudden he's the youngest guy on the senior tour and just dominates. I and think there's I, a market like, for that. I like yeah. where you're
1: going there. <laughs> yeah, and there there is a market for that. And I and the the truck series initially started out as kind of a best of the best of the regional touring divisions, and they competed at various short tracks. I don't know. Maybe the future of the truck series is. You know, a little bit of that and a little bit of uh, some of the big tracks with some older but bigger names. I I don't know, but uh, I think there's a future there. In our um, farcical, fantastical uh, world of promotion and relegation, I think the truck series stays safe.
0: Good, good. That's probably for the safe. But yeah, getting back to the the discussion, I mean, we proposed it. and, And then immediately, yes, from the racing fans, it was, they're not the same equipment. How could you do all this? Blah, 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 blah. And then once you explained, okay, you got that off your chest. Now let's think about it. And then we, and then I got some more reasoned responses. Once, once we get, once we moved past the obvious, just talking about the idea, David, what I liked about it is it it just rewarded, it, it made that ladder system clear. I just think the idea, big picture, if you're the Xfinity series champion, there should be a natural, easy progression where you get to go be a cup driver and compete on the highest level. Maybe that's pie in the sky, but I like that idea. We get that somewhat to a point. It's just kind of natural selection in terms of money, though. Um, But to to have a a ladder system in place and a system in place of promoting because you've done so well, I like that idea. I think that's something to at least think about.
1: And not just for drivers. It's a ladder system for crew chiefs and crew members and teams in general. There are really good, really smart race teams in the Xfinity series and the ARCA series They deserve a look in a bigger series and and should certainly test their mettle against a higher competition level. I'd love to see that. I think it spices up the sport just a little bit. And most importantly, it incentivizes competition and acts as the meritocracy that I think most fans will want
0: awesome and we get, we got some good responses so everyone listening out there really appreciate uh joining the conversation and our our crazy uh flight of fancy of these ideas that we propose. but uh definitely appreciate the back and forth in the conversation and David while we're looking toward last week let's just shout out Chandler Smith number three on the positive regression prospect list for cup rides he went out and won an arca race so I wanted to give a shout out to him
1: uh, yes, he is already Chandler-Smithing everyone in Arca. Uh, number one in Pier already, uh, this week. Uh, I imagine he's gonna stay there. That, uh, that young man is very good. It was a rain-shortened race in Toledo, but he's gonna have more cracks at, uh, the normal race length as the season progresses. He's with a good team in Venturini Motorsports. He's already part of the Toyota development program. The future is very bright and he is making me look very smart.
0: <laughs> Chandler Smithing, he's already a verb. Young kid has a lot of expectations on him. Moving on, we're gonna play a little game. Again, pull back the curtain a little bit. David, uh, you know, we, we plan out the show, you come up with, uh, some of the ideas we wanna talk about and sometimes I can, you know, research and put stuff together, but this, this is a straight up game where I think the idea is maybe to make me look foolish. I'm not sure. But we're playing two <laughs> truths, two truths and a lie, David, because you are going to give me two statistical truths and one false one, and I'm supposed to figure out which one is false. And knowing you, I bet they're going to be pretty uh straightforward in terms of trying to stump me. And let's go. Let's go right into it. We're going to start with the cup, uh cup series. So two truths and a lie about the cup series. Have at it.
1: Do you really think I have to devise a game to make you look foolish?
0: No, but <laughs> I mean,
1: it's not. No, it's, no I it's, really it's,
0: have to choose. I was like, what? <laughs> it's, not
1: that, it's not that complicated, Alan. It's all good. Okay. So let, let me, let me set this straight. Um, I am going to deliver two very real, um, very interesting statistical nuggets and I'm going to offer a third line that is complete and utter BS. It is Alan's job to sniff out the incorrect statistical nugget and above board. Uh, I am not going to pull a fast one on Alan. I'm not going to say that a driver's uh, restart retention rate is 83%, but Oh no, it's actually 82. So you got Thank it wrong. No, we're not, Thank we're you. not playing that way. No, this is a fair game. Okay. We're going to start. We're going to do two cup rounds and two Xfinity rounds. So the first restart related Number one, the number one restarter from the non-preferred groove based on retention percentage is Chris Busher. Okay, that is number one. Non-preferred. Non-preferred. Okay. Number two, Jimmy Johnson leads the NASCAR Cup Series in positions gained from the non-preferred groove with a plus five gain. That is number two. Okay. And number three, Ryan Newman's non-preferred groove retention rate right now is 8%. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, Alan, which one is false? Two of those are true. One is false. Um, I'm going to
0: go with old SAT prep and I'm going to go with the most absolute one is the f- f- is the one that is false so I'm going with the first one that Chris Busher leads in non-preferred groove restart
1: retention that is true my friend oh
0: wow Pr- Chris Busher.
1: Chris Busher is the best non-preferred groove restarter in the NASCAR cup series heading into this weekend's race at Charlotte that is a real true fact well good for him which one's <laughs> <First and> false. <laughs> okay. Jimmy Johnson has not gained five positions from non-preferred groove restarts. In fact, he's lost fifty-one oh spots. My God. And and that is the worst net loss in the series. Uh by the way, so I was it only is,
0: fifty-six positions off, is all you're saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, in oh a roundabout way. Um David Reagan holds the biggest gain right now, plus seven on three attempts from the non preferred groove. But Let me circle back and talk about Chris Buescher because in theory, his ability to restart, especially in a year and a rules package where restarts have become increasingly volatile and the fact that his crew chief is Trent Owens, a known strategist. This should be a good stretch of races this summer for that number 37 team, especially this weekend coming up in Charlotte. Uh, now. Does that happen? I don't know. I, I have no idea how that would manifest. But think back two weeks ago to Kansas. Yeah, they were they were running in the top five pretty easily. They finished tenth, in large part to the strategy of Trent Owens and the non preferred groove restart ability of Chris Buescher. That is a real thing. He is he has improved, and that's a sample of of nine attempts. Uh That's not nothing. That is that is certainly something interesting. Uh, and also Alan on Ryan Newman, if he just simply elected to not participate on non preferred groove restarts, the output would not be that much worse. eight oh percent
0: Wow, well, yeah. okay, so that that part is true, but I think the, the the falsehood of Jimmy Johnson having uh somewhat of a positive uh when it comes to non preferred Groove restarts. Uh, you need to expand on that because negative fifty one positions is ridiculously high. And is that normal for Jimmy Johnson?
1: Uh, no. This is a a recent occurrence since mm, he hit past the age of thirty nine. This is kind of part of his decline phase. He he is not the. The driver he was in years past in traffic, I, I've always equated him to like a, a, a surgeon when just carving up cars. I mean, if he was within two car lengths of another car, you're already dead. I mean, he, it, it was, it was over. Uh, and now he's a liability, especially on short runs. And Chad Canals did a lot last year to alleviate that just in terms of his green flag pit strategy. Uh but now canals has moved on to William Byron. Kevin Mendering is doing a a pretty adequate job in his first year as a cup crew chief, but again, he's acting more as a caretaker and not necessarily a forward thinker. They're just trying to keep the forty eight the the wheels on that forty-eight car and to keep that team afloat for as long as Jimmy wants to stay at Hendrick Motorsports because he's entrenched. They're not they're not gonna boot him. Um, but it has been tough sledding for the forty-eight team.
0: Okay, so you said it was it didn't take much to make me look super foolish, and I was only off by fifty-six positions. So, congratulations there. Let's move on to the next one, David. Two truths and a
1: lie for the Cup Series. Okay, passing related here for the Cup Series. Number one among front runners, the most efficient passer on the one-mile track type is Martin Truex. And I'm going to say that that's actually a truth. That's not what's in question here. But the second most efficient passer, (laughs) the second most efficient passer on the one mile track type is Alex Bowman. That is number one. Okay. Number two, both Jimmy Johnson and Kevin Harvick are among the bottom seven series regulars in surplus passing value on intermediate tracks. And number three, the most efficient passer on intermediate tracks out of the Stuart Haas Racing Stable is none other than the new guy, Daniel Suarez. Alan, which one is false? Most efficient. Okay, I think the first one, I believe, is true. We've
0: already mentioned JJ. Uh, so I'll say that is true. So I'm going to go with your final one is the falsehood that Daniel Suarez is not the most efficient SHR passer on intermediate tracks.
1: That is correct. Yes. Well done, Alan. Uh, actually, Let's intermediates are the only track type on which Suarez holds a negative surplus passing value. It's actually Eric Almirola, currently Stuart Haas's best intermediate passer. He ranks third overall in the series. He's gained a surplus 40 positions beyond the expectation of his running whereabouts. Unfortunately, that is not the case across other track types. Almarola minus six across short tracks, one-mile tracks, and the only two-mile track we've visited so far in Fontana. Uh, so Suarez, not the answer there for Stuart Haas.
0: Let's touch on the, the J.J., uh, Jimmy Johnson, and Kevin Harvick one. Uh, explain that again, the surplus passing value and what exactly that means and what exactly we are seeing in terms of lack of production or just exactly what that number means, because that didn't sound positive.
1: Their cars are good. Harvick's more so than Johnson's 48 car. But because those cars run so high in the running order, their expected pass efficiency is a certain number. And thus far, they have shorted it all season long on the 1.5-mile tracks. Look, we saw last week during the All-Star race, Kevin Harvick absolutely threw his pit crew under the bus. And you know what? Maybe maybe that is within his right uh, because he lost a lot of positions on the racetrack because of their faults. But the old Kevin Harvick, the, the driver that was regularly a top-five passer in the series, that Kevin Harvick would have had no issue in getting back to the front of the field. This one did. And that is a, a very public sample of what happens when stats meets the eye test. That's kind of it. I would have counted on Kevin Harvick to, to go out and bulldog Kyle Larson for a million dollars. He couldn't do it. And when the race was over, he was miffed, as anyone who has lost out on winning a million dollars probably would be. Um, but I don't think all the blame should be uh, falling on his pit crew because, you know what, that's why they pay Kevin Harvick a lot of money to be the alpha dog at Stuart Haas. Because he's the guy that in years past has been able to go out and get those positions through passing on the racetrack. That didn't happen, Alan. So that's, uh, it's a, it's a different world when we're talking about that two, uh, those two guys being on the bottom in this particular metric.
0: Interesting stuff. And the Alex Bowman stat, I I just what you said one mile track. So that's Dover and what Phoenix. So tracks that Alex Bowman is quite good at. So I just, uh, just assumed didn't have the data, but I just assumed he would be a good passer at those tracks as well.
1: Okay, well, as long as, as long as we're on the passing jag, uh, let's move to the Xfinity series and let's have a passing related question for the, for the NASCAR Xfinity series. Okay. Okay. Number one, Christopher Bell is a top five passer on all five measurable track types. Number two, Cole Custer among series regulars is the most efficient passer on the 1.5 mile track type. And number three, the rookie, Noah Gragson, is a bottom five passer on intermediate tracks. Alan, which one of those is false?
0: I believe Christopher Bell being a top five passer in all five measurable track types is the falsehood.
1: Oh, no, that's true. He is doing that for a second consecutive year. He's very good in case you haven't noticed. And he can move through traffic. The falsehood, Cole Custer, as he was in previous seasons, is a minus passer on intermediates. It's one of the things on which he needs to work before moving to the Cup Series. One of the reasons he's still in the x Series. He's lost six positions below the expectation of his average running spot. He is, however, the top short track passer among front runners. Uh, So there is that. He did win at Richmond. Uh, so all is not lost. That's also a very good young talent on the horizon. Still has some wrinkles that need to be ironed out. All right.
0: And uh, Noah Gregson apparently struggling.
1: Yeah. And uh, actually, you know, while we're on that, I could expand that uh, to talk about junior motorsports as a whole, because if we moved, uh, I said Noah Gregson's bottom five, if we move that to bottom seven. Justin Allgaier is included, and that's a big shock considering how good and how reliable in traffic Justin Allgaier was during the 2018 season, which, man, looking back, um, that might have been his best shot at a championship. And this year, it, it, you're just kind of scratching your head at some of these junior motorsports drivers, especially Allgaier. A lot was expected. He was the top um, the top projected driver in terms of Pierre, based on my preseason projection analysis, and he is undershooting it by a wide margin. Lots to dissect there. We talked about it a few episodes ago, but the problems persist.
0: Well, I am, what, uh, one for three right now. So help me get to 500, David. Give me one more shot, two truths and a lie, one more uh, question about the Xfinity series.
1: Okay. We talked about Justin Allgaier. Here's number one. Justin Allgaier ranked first in positions gained on non-preferred groove restarts in 2018. That is a truth. He ranks last in the same scenario in 2019. That is number one. Number two, exactly three drivers hold net positional gains in both restart grooves. They are Kyle Busch, Tyler Reddick, and John Hunter Nemechek. And here is number three. Jeffrey Earnhardt, a favorite of Alan Kavana, mm-hmm. has yet to lose a preferred groove restarting position this year. Alan, which one is false?
0: Which one's the lie? I'll go with number one. I like Justin. I don't believe he can be last. Not last. Maybe a bad year. Not last. Justin Allgaier is not last on non-preferred groove restarts.
1: Right on the money. Yeah. Allgaier <laughs> does not Boom. rank... Last, but he's experienced a 21 position loss on non preferred groove restarts this year. That is a swing of 70 positions on the track wow. from last year. Not good, not the worst, but not good. Um, but let's go back to that number two stat. Um, John Hunter Nemacek, what a season. And, and it just is not being noticed right now. I talked on our prospects episode about maybe being a victim of being at GMS racing and that program while it has had success in the truck series, not as strong in the Xfinity series. And he could be just a victim of perception. And that's kind of it here. Also a victim of bad luck. Five of his seven late race restarts this year emanated from the non-preferred groove. He may do with a three position gain. That's okay. But not lining up in the preferred groove in those red zone situations plays a really big factor in the results. I mean, we've seen it. You and I have talked about Bristol, but man, it's it's just not following Nemechek's way towards the end of races. Interesting, because
0: I just, you know, I think of him and all the talent, and especially when we were talking about the prospect list, but uh maybe I should keep a closer eye on on not just the results and maybe that's something we should take away as always from this podcast. So I went 2 I went 2 for 4. Not bad. Batting 500. That that would get me in the Hall of Fame in baseball. So listeners, if you're playing along at home, tweet me and let me know how you did because you know, 2 out of 4. Not bad. Not
1: bad, David. No, Great game, not, by the not, way. Not Great at all. V- very respectful and certainly not foolish.
0: No, thank you. Good to hear. Good to hear. And and I learned a bunch, regardless. You know, and that's what we're really here for, aren't we? Let's move on to uh the big race this weekend, the Coca-Cola six hundred. Uh, last week in the media center, both you and I were there, David, we got to see each other, you know, face to face, which is uh, something rare for two podcasters, but um, I I was glad we were there because we got to hear from the drivers and one thing they were asked about by our media brethren, uh, the question was posed to them, you know, this wasn't drivers just sounding off, but a a lot of the drivers got the same question. Does the sport need, need a 600 mile race? Uh, Danny Hamlin said, no, I mean, again, he was asked and he came out and said, no. And like many of us probably, you know, he, he explained that if he, if he's bringing a friend or friends to NASCAR race, he's going to bring them to the all-star race, not the Coca-Cola 600, which can take four and a half, five hours. Does NASCAR need that? He said, no, Kyle Busch and Jimmy Johnson, they had a similar answer to, to what many of us may think as well. You know, it is tradition. And they like that tradition and there should be at least one and it is the Coke 600. That is tradition. David, I probably fall somewhere exactly in the middle. That's not, I hope that's not much of a cop out, but I think you should shorten the other races and have just like say the Daytona 500 and Talladega be 500 miles and the Coke 600 and shorten some of the other races necessarily. So, um, that's where I stand. But the question, David, does the sport need a 600 mile race?
1: Absolutely. And I think I am in line with your thoughts, uh, not because of tradition or because it's the way things have always been done. I'm not a fan of those lines, but I am for every race having a defining characteristic. If we have just one 600 mile race, that's great. That is its catch. It's the redundancy that I think needs to be adjusted. We don't need a 600-mile race outside of Charlotte, certainly. And I don't think we need a 500-mile race outside of Daytona. And I'll take it one step further. I don't think we need two races anywhere at any track. Uh, I think there is uh, there is an opportunity to, to move elsewhere. Um, I think other facilities and other cities in America would be better served to host NASCAR races. I'd like to go overseas with this. Just one defining characteristic. I think individuality in races is a big thing, and I'm okay with this being the longest race. That's that's what it is. That's the catch.
0: With so much of the history of it, though, was based on attrition, was based on drivers being multiple laps down and still being in the top 10, or your motor blowing, or, or just your equipment falling off. None of that happens anymore, David. Kyle Busch, I think we we heard him, he estimated they could probably go – a thousand miles before they had any sort of failure. Uh, everything is durable. Everything is built better now. So that idea of attrition is out the window. If we throw that out the window, what is left? Just that it's 600 miles?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're talking more in line of the mechanical attrition, but what about the mental exertion? And think about what this rules package has done to mile-and-a-half tracks. Think about Kansas. that was a 400-mile race. And think about last week at the All-Star race. Those restarts were no joke. Those were pretty relentless. Now, have those across a 600-mile span, that's a nice question to have going in is can these drivers mentally – keep up the frantic pace that this rules package has presented to these types of tracks. I just think the the endurance has shifted more from mechanical and physical to mental. And I've said before, I like when drivers are put in vulnerable situations and are outside of their comfort zone and are asked to do things that are difficult. And I think it's a part of sport. Uh, what makes different sports so intriguing is we are encouraged to see how man digs himself out <laughs> of very difficult, strenuous situations that maybe we had never imagined for ourselves. And that's, that's kind of the thing that brings me into a 600-mile race. So, yeah, if, if it's just Charlotte, I can live with that. All
0: right, we are talking length at length, and one of the uh, another question about a 600 mile race, David. We always talk about speed. You do your speed rankings every week on MotorsportsAnalytics.com, and if you haven't heard the stat here on Positive Regression, listen to it now, and impress all your friends with it, David. As you've said, the fastest car only wins the race 40% of the time in the Cup Series. That may be eye opener to some, but again, 40% of the time does the fastest car win the race. So David, in a 600-mile event, does speed matter in this race?
1: Yes, and especially so nowadays. Uh, the notion of speed bears out when you consider Kyle Busch and Martin Truex curb stomped the field uh, twice in the last three years. But the things that are built around speed, like keeping up with the changing track, That's something you're going to hear a lot going into Sunday's race, but it's been a while since the shift from daytime conditions to nighttime bamboozled anyone. Teams are smart. Their simulation programs are excellent, and I don't think this is a big concern. So Speed, if your favorite driver has it, it'll take him a long way in this one, especially in this year's edition. With this new Aero package last year, those with one of the 10 fastest cars in a race finished in the top 10 around 70% of the time. This year, that number has increased to 90%. Mm. That can, that's a little bit of less volatility, bigger rewards for the fastest car. And Kyle Busch heads into this race with the fastest car in the series this year. Though let's consider Kevin Harvick, the fastest driver at Dover, Kansas, and in the all-star race, he went winless across that stretch. Harvick simply not capitalizing. Someone should write an article about that. <laughs> but uh, but he has a good chance to rectify all of his faults uh, this Sunday. And this is a race that caters to drivers with just all-around goodness.
0: All around goodness, Kyle Bush, Kevin Harvick, uh, look for them this weekend in the 600 mile race. Uh, something that I liked that we saw. In the all-star race, David, was the tire and tire degradation. We saw in the all-star race, we saw teams trying different strategies. Uh, certainly there was some different, uh, scenarios at the end because of cautions as to which one was, you know, four tires, two tires. We, I think there was about six or seven cars that, that were on two tires. And then you had, uh, everyone else that came in and pitted toward the end and, jumbled everything up a a little bit, but what I'm getting at is we saw tires matter and that's important. And they're bringing the same tire to this race, the 600, as we saw in the all-star race. So what effect can that have? And will it create the potential for some maybe pit strategy again in a 600 mile race?
1: Alan, we've talked about the ways in which our eyes fail us. Uh, I would have guessed that the lap time fall off in the all-star race was pretty significant That's what I saw, and the cars with fresh tires were clearly faster on short runs, but it wasn't by as much as I thought. Uh, A half second to three-fourths of a second was the loss. That is big enough to where it makes a difference on restarts, but not so big where it would curtail teams from staying out if a caution fell a little before the end of the stage, A few weeks ago on Motorsports Analytics, I profiled Matt Borland's two calls on Ty Dillon's behalf that helped win stages at Bristol and Talladega. An occurrence like that is wholly possible this weekend, especially considering this is a four-stage race, only one of those on the schedule this year. So we kind of have a perfect storm with a tire that can go in any number of directions and open playbooks for the crew chiefs.
0: We were talking restarts before and a lot of good restarts statistics. That's tough to say, even for a broadcaster like <laughs> myself, David. But, uh, you know, at Charlotte, Charlotte is its own. Uh, you know, we always call them cookie cutter tracks. And uh, someone once told uh, Adrian Parker, a uh, former PR guy over at Charlotte Motor Speedway, goes, Charlotte is the original cookie. If everyone else is the cookie cutter, Charlotte was the original cookie. Charlotte has uh, you know, has, has its own characteristics. So what can we expect on restarts at Charlotte?
1: Um, you know, despite drivers wanting to stay glued to the bottom, uh, the outside has actually been the better restart groove over the past several years. And it wasn't even close last year. Those in the outside within the first seven rows retained position 87% of the time for a gain of 70 spots. Uh, the flip side to that, the inside, did so 29% of the time for a loss of 132 spots. Now, wow. NASCAR brought out the tire dragon uh, to uh, comb over the outside groove to encourage side-by-side racing, which, okay. Uh, not sure how that helps the restart dynamic, and restarts are where we'll see the biggest glut of positional changes in this one, um, I I don't know what the Tire Dragon does. Um, you're going to have to ask someone far smarter than I to, uh, to break that one down. But restarts should be wild. They have been all year with this package. And it offers an opportunity for drivers like Kyle Larson, like Bubba Wallace, like Chris Buescher, who we mentioned earlier, these guys that have had good restart numbers in the past, they can just get an opportunity to mix it up. In the front of the field with some of these better drivers, maybe they can make something out of that. So to our
0: listeners, if you are watching on Sunday night on Fox and you see the leader on a restart pick the inside lane, I hope you are yelling at your television and telling all your friends what's about to happen because you listen to positive regression. Thank you for that, David. Um, of course. One thing uh, we always pick, you know, for the upcoming race, one thing that we would like to see. In the upcoming race, one thing I would like to see in the Coca-Cola 600, kind of a mix of everything we've just talked about in terms of strategy. I just think back, David, to Jeff Gordon's first win. Jeff Gordon, who would, who knew would become the bane of my existence, knocking Rusty Wallace out of the way. His first win at the Coca-Cola 600 in 1994. Came at the expense of second place, Rusty Wallace, because Rusty took four tires and Ray Evernham and Jeff Gordon took two tires and went on to victory. I would love to see a late strategy call make or break the race for a driver, namely maybe the number 24. Mr. Young William Byron. I think that would just be a cool, poetic, uh, what, what do you call it? You know, bookend to the situation. Chad Knaus, William Byron, late strategy call, uh, maybe for two tires and they go on and get the first victory in the Coca-Cola 600. I just think that would be pretty cool. That is what I want to see.
1: And William Byron, uh, uh, sharpened his iron on the, uh, the legend car track at Charlotte Motor Speedway and really showed some metal, uh, oh. in the, in the first stage of that all-star open. Um, everyone's talking about the all-star race for good reason, but man, that open race was, that was solid. That was, that was some, some fine entertainment. Um, for me, Alan, uh, I want to see a Chevrolet. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're, (laughs) (laughs) we're, we're in an era where, uh, styles decide races just as styles make fights. Uh, I think we talked about that on the very first episode of positive regression, We don't know how this race is going to break, but I'd like for it to reward an all-around good performance. And by that, I mean no backdoor winner, no winner who struggled on restarts but pitted early and won as a result of a long run. I would like everything to matter. High passing marks, good restart retention, a smart pit strategy that allows a driver to keep the positions he's earned look, this is a 600-mile race, and in theory, it should take being good at absolutely everything to win it. Uh, and I realize that this caters to the usual crowd, uh, Bush, Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, but if there was a general classification race on the NASCAR calendar, it's this one. It's a big race. Uh, I want to see the best in the world throw down. Not
0: bad for a holiday weekend and one of the biggest races in NASCAR. I, I hope, you know, we, we both get our way and, uh, they throw down and then it's the, the young man, William Byron who ends up winning. So
1: I don't we'll know. See. That's, that's a, that's a weird scenario that you've presented, <laughs> but I don't know. This is NASCAR and this is where crazy things happen.
0: We have seen crazier. Oh, it's good. Well, uh, good episode. We are available on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, Spotify and Podbean. We have all your favorite devices covered. If you like what you are hearing and I know you do because we have great interaction. Uh, especially with our crazy topics but make sure you leave us a rating or a review not just a response on twitter that helps this podcast gain some visibility your help in spreading the word is so appreciated if you do have questions interactions comments send us something on twitter at PosRegPod. p-o-s-r-e-g-p-o-d we love talking with you david what are you working on
1: there is a clint boyer article in the works for motorsportsanalytics.com he has been in the news at different points this year for reasons completely unrelated uh, to success. I wanted to point out some of the successes. He is, uh, to me, more than just a soundbite. He is good. He has discernible strengths and is in the prime of his career. Uh, so I wanted to write about that. Please be sure to check that out.
0: Awesome. And make sure you check out my Twitter account or Facebook pages. Uh, this week on Race Hub, I interviewed Mr. Million, the Million Dollar Man himself, Kyle Larson, fresh off uh, the win. He said he hadn't celebrated much, David, because he had to stay sober so he could go scale his go-kart and go racing at Millbridge uh, Speedway. So that's what kind of racer we are talking about when we talk with Kyle Larson, is that he didn't want to celebrate because he had to make sure – his go-kart would handle, right, for his off-day racing. Uh That's a real racer right there. And he gave away he, uh, a bus to a school in Charleston, and it was a really cool deal. So make sure you go watch that story. That was on Race Hub. And the trucks are off this week after a good stretch, but we will be back. But just make sure you watch uh, the Fox family this weekend, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, and have an awesome weekend of racing. Uh David, we don't talk a lot of IndyCar, but... It's the Indy 500 this weekend, so uh, you know, make sure you watch that before you watch the Coca-Cola 600. It's just going to be a good weekend of racing. It's, it's. How do how do we overlook this?
1: Yeah, I haven't been uh, paying attention much to Indy, but how did Fernando Alonso do?
0: Uh, you know, I read something that I'm not quite sure he has a great starting position for Sunday's race. So oh, that's
1: a shame. Well, look, I mean, <laughs> it's it's a 500 mile race. I think it'll be fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Alright, for David Smith, I'm Alan Cavana, enjoy your holiday weekend, stay positive, and thank you for listening to Positive Regression.